What's going on? We have Todd McShay today on the Rosillo podcast at The Ringer. And because McShay's here, well, because anybody who stops by, I want to let everybody know that we are brought to you by Belvedere. And all you guys DMing me about Belvedere and tweeting about it, keep it coming because it makes me look good in front of those swell people from Belvedere. All right. Produced in one of the world's longest running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka. Part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition, Belvedere is made with 100% Polska rye, pure water, and no additives. I tell you what, if you want to send us a video of you rehearsing that and memorizing that intro, our pre-roll here, uh, we will send you a t-shirt. We don't have any Rosillo t-shirts yet, but if not, maybe we'll send you like um, one Shining Pod one. I know a guy. Nice. So there you go. Because some of you kids are just wild out there. So that's, uh, that's the Belvedere read. So check it out. Belvedere, Belvedere, Belvedere. Remember to <laughs> always drink responsibly. But yeah, if you're doing those videos, one T-shirt. Not everybody. Not everybody gets. Uh, not everybody gets a T-shirt because we don't even have them yet, and I'm bad at mailing. I still owe some people some stuff from, I don't know, I think like two years ago. But you know what? I usually get it done, no matter what. Also, were you sitting around the other day going, you know what I want to do? I want to take my game to the next level. I don't know how. Well, I'm going to tell you how. You start by taking your game day treats to the next level with the new M&M's Hazelnut Spread Chocolate Candies. Hazelnut Spread is covered in smooth M&M's milk chocolate, delivering a mouth-watering blend of chocolate and hazelnut in every bite-sized piece. Enjoy them on your own or use them to spruce up your favorite desserts. You know, if you're ever over at your buddy's house and you feel kind of fun or silly and you're just thinking about the extreme lengths that you're going to to impress your friends, there's a pretty good chance if you showed up with a bag of m M&M- and hazelnut spread chocolate candies you're gonna leave and they're gonna talk behind your back but in a way that's only positive where they're like man dave is really taking it to the next level like yeah i don't know what it is but it just feels different go hazelnutty and try the new m&m's hazelnut spread chocolate candies today i want to talk about quarterbacks Oh, no way, Rosillo. You want to talk about quarterbacks? Yeah, I do. I always want to talk about quarterbacks. I find it fascinating, but I think you find it fascinating too because every time there's a list, who would you want now? Who's the best? Who's the best in five years? How many guys are going to lose their jobs? How many people could be on another team? Landing spots, where could all these guys go? What's the market for some of the guys that teams could be moving on from? It's always interesting, okay? That was always one of my top rules whenever we were doing radio show was that how can we find a way to talk about the quarterbacks? Here's the thing. I don't know anything about these guys anymore. Now, is that a little dramatic? Yes. And you're going, well, wait a minute. Why do I want to listen to your football takes if you don't know anything about quarterbacks? I'm just the one that's admitting it because I don't think you know either. Now, I do know this as somebody who's worked in this business a long time, that most of the guys that you watch on TV or listen to on the radio don't watch a ton of games. They don't watch nearly as many as they say they do. And when they talk about draft picks and quarterbacks, there's a really good chance 90% of the people talking and having opinions on the quarterbacks don't ever watch them. And I'm not talking about Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper or guys that are draft types. Um, I know those guys watch them. And I know some people are super into college football. But here's what I'm going to tell you is that your radio talk show host or your late night TV guy or your debate desk guy, that guy's not sitting around on a Saturday at noon Eastern or 9 a.m. Western um, time zone. That'd be Pacific now that I'm out here, PT. He's not watching Duke kick off and Daniel Jones at 9 a.m. on Saturday. He just isn't. Okay, there's a few guys that are really into gambling that are doing it. They're going to tell you they watched him after the fact. But I know that they didn't because I've worked with all of these guys. And I remember I got into trouble once because there was one guy at ESPN that said something so ridiculous one time where he said he'd seen every one of Chris Paul's games, including his college games at Wake. And then he was about to intro his Chris Paul take. And I said, well, that's just not true. I brought it up on the air, I was scolded and I go, well, you know, this is, it's just such a ridiculous thing to say that you've watched every single Chris Paul game and he's been in the NBA for like seven or eight years by the time the guy had said it. And his producer was super condescending and, and was really nasty about it. And then like a couple months later, he realized, you know, I really shouldn't have talked to you that way. I was like, yeah, you shouldn't have because I was right. But that was always my point is that I tried to, even though it's cool to say, hey, I've watched everything, I've watched everything, I just know how much I watch, and I watch a ton, and I wasn't exactly breaking down Daniel Jones left and right, knowing what to make of him. And now we have this massive game for him, his first game, and now everybody that was crushing Daniel Jones, let's face it, 
Like we are very malleable when it comes to this kind of stuff where it's like, well, man, I really went hard on him and the Giants in April and I said it was a joke. So let me try to pull back on this a little bit. But then it's like, wait a minute, are you supposed to pull back because Daniel Jones had a great first game against Tampa Bay? Haven't we done this before? So that would be my general thing is, first of all, don't take any of us that seriously, I guess, except for me. Um, And, you know, I've had teams on the NBA side call me to complain about other people that are opinion people in the business. And I go, hey. I can guarantee you like that guy wasn't watching the Trailblazers game on Tuesday at 10 o'clock Eastern. He wasn't. You know what I mean? That's just the job. Hey, this is happening. Here's the story. What's your take on it? Boom. Done. Nice tie. Sit there. So I'm I'm at this point where I'm watching all of these quarterbacks and everybody just try to shuffle around trying to figure out what they're supposed to say. And obviously, all of us want to be right far more than we want to be wrong. We all have a hard time being wrong that I've never been more clueless about the position. I don't know what the hell Daniel Jones is going to be. Now, maybe everybody at Duke was really bad around him, and he needed NFL-style dudes um, to, to show off his ability. That's probably part of it. It's also, I think, a little bit with new quarterbacks. I've always had this theory, and maybe you could do it, especially against really big-time prep baseball teams, but if you threw an unknown AAA guy out there in game one or two of a playoff series, would you have a better chance than, say, your number two or three starter just because it'd be arm angle and stuff and nobody really knows what the hell the guy's second and third pitches are because they've never, ever seen him before? I do think there's something to be said for that with quarterbacks. But whether or not Daniel Jones is going to be a star and worthy of a six pick and everybody trying to delete all their tweets that said Daniel Jones sucks, like I'm just not ready to anoint him. Just like I kind of felt like, all right, all these guys are screaming about him, but I know none of you have watched him at Duke. We did this before. You go back to Cam's first year. Week one, Arizona, 24-37, 422 yards, two touchdowns a pick, ran it in once. The reaction after that was either, I told you about Cam, or anybody that was anti-cam, because I remember specifically certain radio shows that were anti-cam going, oh, wow, I was totally, this guy's going to light up the league. Well, now we're almost a decade removed from it, and it's like, what do we have in cam? We have somebody that might get replaced by Kyle Allen, which, again, seems kind of aggressive, because cam, at the very least, even if 2015 was his peak and maybe even fluky, which I think there's an argument to be made for that, and that Super Bowl run year where he was really good and even better in the second half of the season, he's at least somebody that you took that high and turned out to be a franchise quarterback for a really long time. And now maybe it's just injuries, and boy, it looked terrible in that game against Tampa because it just looked like a defeated guy out there, and I don't know what to make of him. But I do know that those that doubted him at the draft and then after week one felt like they had to do this massive pivot, and it's like, wait a minute, did you? Did you have to do that? I mean, week two, he threw it for 432 yards, and I remember reading that the yardage totals were the most ever, blah, 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 since, and that's what's happening left and right now. Daniel Jones, the first ever quarterback to do this, this, and this, and I always feel like it's sortable. If you want to find something historic from a performance, you can just sort it with the right <laughs> bookends, and you'll you'll find a way to make it sound like somebody's done something that's never been done before, even if that's accurate. 2015, Jameis Winston. What do we make of this guy? Well, we know he's not a great athlete coming out of Florida State. We know that he's a little loose with the football, but then he starts putting up some big yardage numbers, and he actually made the Pro Bowl his rookie year. Now, again, you know how I feel about Pro Bowl quarterbacks. 11 quarterbacks technically were Pro Bowl quarterbacks in 2015. So next time one of your buddies is like, dude, whatever, Nick Foles made a Pro Bowl. You know, Nick Foles made the Pro Bowl with Philly the first time he was there. People forget that. You know why? Because it's easy to forget and you should have forgotten it. So Jameis in 2015, like putting up some big numbers, throwing the ball to the other side a little bit too much. All right, seven coordinators later, he's still the same freaking guy. So that one kind of I think nail on the head a little bit where Mariota was the guy behind him going, I don't really know. I watched all those Oregon games. I loved what he did in college. I loved how they talked about how smart he was in reading defenses and predicting what safety's coverages would be. And that's why when he was in there, they're like, man, this guy's special. But I'd sit with McShay and watch the, I don't know if it was Huddle or whatever it was, the scout video. And he'd say, you know, the difference between Jameis and Mariota is Jameis makes more NFL throws and Mariota's making less anticipation throws. It's a read. Okay, that's where the guy is make that throw and that limits him and he's going to have to improve that. I think he's still that same guy. And it's, you know, these are two quarterbacks, by the way, my rule, the NFL tells you what they think of you. When two teams say, yeah, we'll just pay you that 20 million for that one year. So we don't have to give you an extension with all sorts of bonus money. That means they're as skeptical of their own quarterbacks as the rest of us are from the outside. How about RG three in 2012 rookie of the year deserved it. Went up against that, hey, I think luck is going to be really good, but what is RG3 in this Heisman-type offense that's incredible? Like, what is he going to be as a pro? And it all kind of worked. 
But you know what? 3,200 yards, 20 touchdowns. That would have been 21st in touchdowns and yards in 2018. Just six years later, those numbers aren't even that impressive anymore. And again, that's a lot of the offensive changes that we've seen in the league and the rules. But he was rookie of the year, and it looked like Washington finally had their franchise quarterback. He couldn't keep himself healthy. He blamed the offense, which was ridiculous because the Holodinata shot was on RG3. It wasn't offensive designs there. And then, look, he's a blip, and it never happened. So we have... What, Baker last year getting ready to take Cleveland to the Super Bowl? I know Baker and Kyler Murray, as I've said, those guys would have been mid-round picks five to ten years ago, okay? But now I'm supposed to think Baker off of last year was ready to go to the Super Bowl, but I'm also not ready to crush the guy because I still think he's really talented. I don't know what to make of Kyler Murray. Again, I would have written him off five or ten years ago, but now I have to have more of an open mind because of some of the things we've already seen. So as I watch every single week, I'm, I'm – lost on Saturdays thinking, is this guy going to be good? Like, I don't know. Somebody asked me about Mason Rudolph the other day and I go, you know, normally I'd say no shot. Oklahoma State, weird system, you know, not even going Brandon Whedon. And I'm not telling you you look good against San Francisco, but it's his first game he's really ever played in. So I can't really write him off. But now I'm having an open mind, not because of me becoming more mature or accepting. It's because of just straight confusion. Hell, Sam Darnold last year against Detroit. Okay, boom, the Jets all set. I did a poll the other day on Twitter. Who would you rather have, Daniel Jones or Sam Darnold? 60% of you, over 30 million votes, I think, went with Daniel Jones, which I knew was going to happen. Um, Lamar looks better, but are we ready to do this and say he was actually really good last year and now he's awesome? Is the production's incredible. Is it the competition? Is it somebody figuring him out? Did Kansas City figure him out a little bit with some of that coverage? I don't know. I'm confused on that one. I think I know Deshaun Watson's going to be really good because he makes plays that other guys just can't make. And there's just something there with Deshaun where I feel like I think I know more with him. Josh Allen, I think it's going to end up being disappointing. I just do. And I could be wrong. Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't know. Cam, we've been over. All of a sudden, even though I like watching Gardner Minshew in those late Washington State games and seeing what he did at Oregon, especially in that first half, and going, man, there's something here with this guy. He went in the sixth round. So am I supposed to have an open mind about Minshew? And does that mean I have to have an open mind about Luke Falk after decades of Mike Leach players never working out? Because never forget, Tim Couch was the original Mike Leach bust. He was the guy that looked the part, Kentucky, but at that point, nobody really knew that the air raid didn't translate to the NFL. And you're like, how does this guy go number one? And it's not even close to happening. And then it was like, oh, let's go back and look what happened to a Mike Leach guy. But now it's different. Now it's going to work in Jacksonville. Brissett. I don't know. I know Chris Long loves him. Trubisky, I think I know. And I don't want to hear about that game against the Redskins. But the overriding point on all this stuff, I mean, even Kyle Allen, like now Carolina's psyched and it's fixed because they won one game with this guy. We're seeing unprecedented intro production from quarterbacks that we've never, ever seen before. But it's not just because everybody's better or more prepared because those things could be true. I just find it more confusing than it's ever been before. And as I watch guys on Saturday, guys that I normally would dismiss unless they were the far extremes. Like when I watched Luck in person numerous times and on TV, I went, it all makes sense. And when I watched Terrell Pryor on the sideline, I'll never forget being at the Wisconsin game. It was the second time I'd seen him in person. And Van Pelt turns to me after like one third and seven and goes, oh my God, like this isn't going to work. And I go, yeah, yeah, that's what I've been telling you. Like it's, you can see it. I still think I can figure out the extremes at the position. But man, it is brutal for me to decipher guys I normally would write off versus guys that I would think were going to be locks at the position. And as we know, there's no such thing as a lock at quarterback. Todd McShay, including impact defensive players coming up here in just a moment. But today's episode is brought to you by Floor and Decor. Don't miss out. Floor and Decor is the only one-stop flooring shop that keeps general contractors, flooring specialists, and renovation experts ahead of the game. Thanks to their fully stocked warehouse of hard surface flooring, no job is too big. Job lock quantities of tile, wood, and stone are in stock and available for convenient worksite delivery. And their dedicated pro services team is here to help make it easy for you to run your business. Offering everything from 14-day product storage to financing solutions to express pickup. Sign up for Pro Premier Rewards that you'll automatically rack up points that you can exchange for prizes. Plus, you'll have access to over 15 discounted services to help you grow your business. Explore your local floor and decor and discover how quality flooring products at everyday low prices can completely change your game. Visit floorandecor.com today to locate the floor and decor nearest you and score savings and services you won't find anywhere else. That's floorandecor.com. 
Todd, I just did this open about quarterbacks in the NFL and that, you know, I feel like, look, I don't watch it the way you watch it or Amel watches it, but I still watch a lot on Saturdays. And I used to kind of think, all right, well, you know, I think this guy could be good. I don't think this guy will be any good. And now that we've seen so many different styles come in, the offensive explosion overnight, the production that we've seen from some of these young players, like I look at a Daniel Jones and go, oh, wow, is he good? And then I think, wait a minute, we've seen this before with so many other quarterbacks. I guess what I'm doing is I'm admitting that despite what I watch and and doing this for as many years as I have, the 10,000 hours plus, I don't think I've ever been more confused about trying to figure out which guy's going to be a good NFL quarterback. <laughs> you know, Jordan Palmer said that to me in April or maybe March. The guy, the guy I know a quarterback really well. And he, he has become the new George Whitfield and takes all the, the top quarterback prospects and works with them and and he's like, I, I'm working through it, but he's like, I feel like everyone evaluating quarterbacks is less informed and has less of a feel than they've ever had before. And I was like, you know what? I think you're right. And the reason I think you're right is because there's no prototype anymore. We used to be able to count out, you know, under six foot, um, hand size, this, that, and the other thing. And now it's it's really about finding guys that can get the ball out quickly and obviously accuracy. Accuracy and the, and the mental makeup are always going to be two commonalities. But there are other aspects of the game now that it has become less of a between-the-tackles game and more of a finesse game. And with teams spreading it out and actually having success in different varieties of ways and there's no I don't want to bore everyone but like everyone says well RPO yeah but you can work in some RPO but it doesn't mean you have to be a run pass option offense you can work in an option an option play here or there but that doesn't mean you have to be a singular every team just about every team out there is mixing in a lot of different things and I think that's becoming one of the biggest things is finding a quarterback who can who can be who can make you multiple and allow you to do different things and they they don't always look like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Eli Manning or but the problem is you also go back and you look at the the history of like the NFL and the Super Bowl winners and they're all 63 to 65 220 to 250 I think it's going to change and I think those that are hung up on it are going to be behind the times. But really, I mean, who, we got Russell and Drew Brees, right? Those yeah. are the two. And everybody else kind of fits in that same mold. So I think the game is changing. I think it's changing quickly. And I think if you don't adapt that you, you're going to wind up being several steps behind. So, I mean, you were leaving Baker and Kyler out as the smaller guys only because it's not known yet, right? Where the other two guys are known. Right. We, we yeah. have no sample size, really. Yep, yeah. exactly. Okay. So, have you watched Kyler all in the pros? I know you're traveling for the Saturday college stuff. Have you got to watch him yet? Yeah. I thought I think he's been up and down. I, from what I've seen, he's been up and down. I mean, he's there are times where he looks really competent and, and quick and knows where he's going with the ball and he and he's effective. And there are times where, you know, I think he needs some developing still to do. And I think Baker, as great as he was last year, I think everyone has spent the offseason trying to figure out how to deal with Baker. And Baker spent the offseason dealing with his brand. Not that he wasn't working. I don't, you know, take that wherever you want. I don't, I actually don't care. Easy cowherd. No, but I'm just saying, I, I think, my guess is I love Baker. I really do. I've, I've always loved Baker. I think it's very easy to get caught in the trap of had a really great rookie season, got all these weapons coming in, got all this talent coming in. And I think everyone in the league now is like, how are we going to shut this dude down? And I think we're seeing some of those early struggles. 
the Baker thing though with the brand, I I just think it's so unfair. I I know you're not necessarily saying it, but you said it, and I just go. I think we both know there's there's plenty of guys that can work on their brand and still take care of business. The same thing happened to RG3, where all of a sudden you had a ton of ads, and that's what happens when you're in DC, a big market. It's not even like I forget the brand part. It's just the t- the amount of time that it requires to live up to expectations of marketing. You know how it is. I mean, you're. You're getting marketed all the time. <laughs> I don't get those McShay marketing deals. I, I see all over the place, hawking grills and cable. It takes time. Yeah. It takes time. It takes time. And I, I think I think when you're five, six, seven years in and established and you know how to manage your time, um, it's just time efficiency. You know, I, I think that's the big thing. And, and it takes a while to learn time efficiency. I think, we you know, we all are work on it but i know this when i was 22 i didn't know time efficiency like i do now and i didn't think having two kids a dog and a wife and all this other stuff going on in my life that i could have any way of doing my job as well as i wanted to do it at that time and i think he's gonna he's gonna have to learn to manage that over time when it comes to the young guys and the work ethic thing i have to hear directly from a team guy who i trust who says this player fill in the blank isn't doing his job because we both know there's plenty of dudes that find a way to live the life and build the brand. And yet they're still doing the workouts the right way and putting in all the time. So I think Baker has one of those things where we just, it's totally unfair. And it's not even specific to Baker is as soon as somebody's a little disappointing, we start pointing to all the other outside stuff as a direct correlation to why somebody isn't as good. And when I just watch him on Sundays, I get why he went one. Now it took me a little longer with him because I think the Oklahoma thing scares me, but now I realize like the Oklahoma thing is more real than other schools, which we've been over. But you know, when he's getting it out and that throw, like that stuff, the mechanics and the delivery and the throw it's, it's awesome. But then when it's off, you're like, Oh, okay. Like this guy, ironically, it's like, he's not as good of a freestyle as you would think based on what we saw in college where when everything's like has more construction to it, he's incredible. So that's what I've seen right. at least well, the beginning of this year because I've been watching him closer. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. I'm just, I think there are several factors. I think one is he was able to extend plays more in college. Um, you know, he's a four nine guy. He's not a four six guy. He and so that element of the game is not as much there. It's still there. He has a great feel. He's quicker than fast and all that. But I, I think there's something too. If you're a defensive coordinator, especially in that division, who's the guy you want to figure out this offseason? Who's the yeah. guy you're spending yeah. more, a little extra time in? It's nine o'clock at night. You want to go home. You haven't seen your kids. You're pissed off. You got all this stuff going on. But like, I, I got, I got to figure out this guy because all I see is Baker. Right? There's something to that, and I, I think. He's going to now have to, it's just a chess match. He's going to now have to go back and figure out, all right, what are they doing to me? What are they trying to throw at me that, that's working on the defensive side? And what can I do to, to counter that? And I, again, I'm, I'm not bashing him I'm, at all. I t- told you, I really like Baker. I'm just saying this league has a funny way of making a superstar into a very average player at that position if they if everyone's focusing on trying to shut you down because everyone has weaknesses except maybe Brady and Aaron Rodgers so I know that this could this could turn into I don't know if this would be and I'm not doing this as like the jerky thing like Jamarcus Russell ooh you're so stupid at this you know look it's not because we're friends I understand the process of it more by the way did I tell you that I was out with the LSU guys recently and they told me Jamarcus stopped by and he threw it six he hit the goal post he hit the crossbar from 60 yards out on his first throw. Of course he did. Probably on his knees. <laughs> they were like, you can't hit that again. Like the younger dudes are messing with him. And Jamarcus <laughs> is like, all right, first throw hits it. Doink. And uh, know, what a the, the guys, the guys on the staff were like, he's still the most amazing throw of the football we've ever seen in our life. So, okay. The Daniel Jones thing. So everybody's going to want to talk to you now about Daniel Jones, because you thought it was a mistake on draft night to take him six. But uh, listen, I've, I've missed on so many guys. I've hit on so many guys. I've been right on so many guys like that I I knew weren't going to be good like the the Tebos of the world and even you know like is Derek Carr going to be what everyone thought he was going to be after a year like I it's a long process you got to give it at least three years no one wants to 
everyone wants to make a decision after one game, and I get it. Um, but I'm, I also, I, I think, I would like to think I'm as open as anyone out there to admitting where I'm, I've been wrong. And I, I don't like, I don't get a ton of pleasure internally. I like to be right, obviously, but I, it, it doesn't do, it doesn't give me any like pleasure to be like, I don't like, being, Oh, see, I got this guy. Right. And I, and I understand that I, I take the beating when, when I'm wrong and I've been wrong plenty of times. You know what? I may, I may be way off, but I thought coming into it, he was more in that like Clawson Quinn type of range where if he was put in a situation to be a backup, he'd be, he could be a really good backup and maybe develop into a starter, but he's played at a far more advanced level than I expected. And if he continues to, I'll eat it for the rest of his career. So I, I watch Minshew a lot because, you know, they, they're always on in that window. And I'm not going to tell you this isn't surprising because it is still surprising that you see a guy be that seamless about it. And I was reading an interview with uh, DiFilippo, uh, that's John DiFilippo, who's one of the you know offensive coaches of the OC down there. And he said something that I thought was really fascinating, but also at the same time really disappointing when they were like, hey, wouldn't you know like Gardner kind of had this it factor, right? Now, right now he's got the it factor. He's wearing the throwback jean shorts and the whole deal. Um, and we'll see if there's a correction on him because I always feel like with a lot of these guys, especially more of the dual threat guys, but like I've always felt like there's sort of this correction that the league does on, on some of these QBs. And Filippo said, you know, as soon as we got him in here, I was like blown away. I'm like, okay, this guy's picking up things way faster. And, it, and it's not just, it's not about his physical stuff because the physical stuff is why he went so late. It's the stuff that we couldn't figure out until we got him in here. Isn't, doesn't there have to be a better way? And that's why I said it was great, but also disappointing. Doesn't there have to be a better way for these 32 NFL teams with so much on the line to find, like, I, it, is it worth the NFL assigning the QB you know, I'm not even saying therapist, but like, is there a way to figure out to have somebody closer to all of these power five quarterbacks where none of this stuff is a surprise anymore? Because I look, the coaches are going to lie to you because they can't bury their own kids for the most part, because if they do, it gets out in recruiting and then it just trashes, you know, like it's the worst thing you can do as a power five coach. I mean, it, it still happens sometimes. I've heard stories, but I guess whenever I, I'm like 2019, Todd DiFilippo is basically saying like we still don't have any process of really knowing how much these guys know until we've actually drafted them. I think one of the next things that, that we're going to see, and I totally agree with what you're saying. Some of it you just you can't quantify. Some of it you just you can't know until you're with them day in and day out. Some of it also is BS too. I mean, let's face it. Some of it's like. Oh yeah, he's doing well. Yeah, I knew the second he, he came in, and I got my hands on him. You know, <laughs> I, I yeah. hear all the same things over yeah. and over again, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I do think, yeah. I do think, if you're talking just purely looking forward, I think there's something to virtual re- reality in terms of pre-draft testing to get a quarterback and legitimately put him in and try to get more reps and more real reps instead of just like pro days, you know, individual workouts, seven, not even seven on seven, seven on seven on nothing. And, and trying to get a sense for him. Yeah. We put him on the board. We talked to him, you know, we, we installed a 13 plays and, and then we brought him to the field and he, he picked it up quickly. I think the virtual reality thing has a chance to, to help. I don't think anything's ever going to be perfect, but I think that kind of testing could maybe be the next step in the process. And I, like, I don't have the answer for it. I haven't heard a whole lot about it, but I just, I know like Drew Brees spends a lot of time with virtual reality stuff and it helps him processing and understanding defenses. Um, and you don't really know until he's, until you get him in those situations. And how am I going to know with, with a broom or a, you know, a, a fake 45-year-old defender coming at him with a bag? Like, it's just not reality. And you can watch the tape, but what you need to do is put them – you need to install in their brain. These are 12 plays that we're going to run the, uh, on Sunday. 
Now, we're going to walk from the office, we're going to go to the practice field, and we're going to put something on you virtually, and you're going to see an actual NFL defense against these 12 plays. What's your pre-snap read? How are you checking? Are you killing? Are you kill, kill, kill? Are we killing the play? Are you, you know, moving it from right to left? And then post-snap, boom. Okay, now the, the single high went too, too deep. What, how does your whole read change? And how quickly do you figure that out? How do you process it? And can you adjust to the fact that your wide receiver realized that it's not a single high, it's a, it's a double high, and now we got to work the seam instead of working the out? Those sorts of things, it's hard. You know, these pro days look so cute, and they're great for TV, and the combine's good for all that stuff. But the, part of the reason the quarterback position so difficult is Teams want to do certain things, and they need to know mentally what you are. And then there's also like the other the intangibles and the like the the ability to channel energy and anger and frustration and all that stuff. But I think apples to apples, that might be the closest way we could get to improving the the quarterback evaluation process. So in your latest mock or your rankings, and, and look, this isn't even team assigned, and I know you do the one right after the draft that we talk about how much you hate, but you have two one, and I've watched probably about as much two as I can other than some of those non-conference that are blowouts, but then I still find myself going back to it because I love watching him. I love watching those receivers. I mean, you have Judy two, you have Ruggs 10, and that doesn't even, I mean, Waddle's nuts, Smith is nuts. I mean, it's just nuts, this receiving core yep. and the depth. and I know, you know, whenever anybody says, well, you know, I don't like him because the injury thing like that, I can't predict. You can't predict it too. No one can predict what it is unless there's like a real problem there. But well, I am Darnold was the most durable quarterback ever coming out and he just got mono. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Perfect. But when I watch Tua, yeah. I'm going to let myself, despite all the confusion I've just admitted to, I'm going to let myself go ahead and say, I'd be surprised if he's not a really good quarterback in the NFL. I just watching it into a second year and seeing what he does. I I really think he is that special, and obviously I agree with you having him one. Yeah, I I think so too, man. He's got a little. There's. I always talk to you like I'm talking to you on the phone, but I'll just be real. There's a little. I don't want to say diva, but a little like entitlement there because he's the Bama guy, and he's got every weapon you can possibly have. He's got every outlet you could ever possibly have as a quarterback like you can't be in a better situation than the situation that Tua has been in right no doubt um but I also there are very few quarterbacks that I've ever watched that throw the ball more naturally with anticipation know how to layer it in touch throws when to drive it. He doesn't have a big arm. Like I, Maybe Drew, Drew Brees at best, somewhere in that neighborhood, but the ball's out on t- he drive. He reminds me a lot of Drew Brees. No, but you just said drive the ball. Like, that's what I see. Like, when, he's, when there's that slant, and granted, some of the stuff they're running with these guys, like their guys are beating coverage on slants left and right, but the way he is on top of the throw – there's there's just something there and you know Pollock definitely got in my head a little bit and that his the way he plays with defensive backs with his eyes and his shoulders is really incredible for a kid this young to already have those tricks down it's incredible it's incredible like that I I'm, I mean it'll always be his signature throw that touchdown to win the national championship but how quickly he came off he knew he was going left down the down the rail but to hang on to that safety that long in that moment <laughs> as a freshman in the national championship game with everything on the line, you know, like, all you want to do is see the receiver as a quarterback. It is your, you know, it's, it's your kryptonite is you just want to see it. You want to see the quarterback. You want to, I mean, uh, the receiver, you want to want to trust that for him to hang on that long. And then boom, could come off it and put the ball where he did just to make sure that safety was not involved in that throw. And he, you know, he does, a, he makes a, a throw or a deci- decision like that every game. 
where you're just like, wow, this guy is a different level. But it, honestly, it goes back to accuracy for me. And I think he's the most accurate quarterback in the country. Now, Trevor Lawrence is, is better. He's got, he's got more going for him. Um, but I don't know that I've seen a more accurate quarterback in several years than Tua. How many quarterbacks then could go in this class? In the first round? Yeah. Right, right. Not, not I wasn't going to do uh, seventh rounders to you right now. You, you don't want to grind through. <laughs> Tua, obviously. I think Jacob Eason is going to be in the mix. Justin Herbert will be. They both have, like, they're not there yet. And that's going to be the frustrating part. But. Herbert has the big arm and he's mobile. I think Jacob Eason is developing into a quarterback, not just a a slinger, but I want to see more of it. He was awesome against BYU. He was 18 of 20 in the first half. And they were running, they were, BYU was, I was at the game, BYU was rushing three, dropping eight, making him throw into tight windows, different zone looks. And I'm not saying they're great, but they were throwing different things at him and he was patient understood what to look for and, and was really good. Uh, Jake Fromm, the other, the, the, you know, the guy who, who took Ethan's job at Georgia, he has, he has a fraction of the tools that Ethan or Herbert have, but there's something about that dude. I, even you go back and you watch the two losses at the end of the year, against uh, Bama and then Texas, Texas in the bowl game. I, I studied both of those games. There were at least five throws that were drops in both of those games where they were like the perfect throws. And all of a sudden, you know, you look at the percentages and the numbers and what the results could have been. And I, I don't know. I, he reminds me, like, I work with Ryan Greasy. Greasy was in the league for 13 years, I think it was. And nobody, and he basically, he he was a walk-on. Nobody thought he was any good and gets in the league and it bounced around to a bunch of different places. He didn't have the big arm. He didn't have the mobility, none of that stuff, but just kind of got it and showed up in big moments. And, uh, and I think he's got. A, I, I think Fromm's got a chance to be like him. So those are the four guys that I think. I, I don't know if Fromm's going to be a first round pick or not. We'll see. But those are the four guys that I, I like. But really, all for different reasons. Okay, you didn't mention Joe Burrow at LSU. He's playing his ass off. <laughs> I, he is a totally different quarterback than the one I saw last year. And if he keeps this up, then then yes, he's going to be involved. And, and um, what is it, Jordan Love from Utah State. He's got a lot of talent, too. So there are other guys. But Burrow is, to me, this, like, the single player who's most different or most changed than the player I saw from a year ago. And I'm, I'm interested to see if he can keep it up. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a little different here. And I also think there's some weird stuff happening with LSU's defense that isn't because they're not good. It's because this is so abnormal to them. Um that when they know they're scoring in like three plays every time down, they're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I and mean, I watch a good chunk of the Vandy thing, and it's like, okay, they're up seven nothing, and we're just going to go ahead and do our thing. Um, you didn't mention Montez of Colorado. Uh, I've watched Love for one game this year, and you watch him, and I mean, I, I'm, I know I sound far too simplistic with this, but you just watch him throw the football around, and you're like, oh, okay, like this is why this guy is on the radar. Um, but yeah, you didn't you didn't mention Mont- Montez, which you know I'm not challenging you on it. I just think. I'm wondering if that's just a height weight thing for him and Colorado winning a couple more games. Yeah, I, I watched a, watch a little bit in the preseason and I honestly have not seen enough yet this season, but I will. It's a long, it's a long year. <laughs> um, I think if things go perfectly, we're talking like, you know, third, fourth round, somewhere in that range. But I think, I think love from Utah State has got better tools and Burrow, I don't even know what to do with right now because I thought he was a, you know, maybe seventh round free agent coming into the year, and he's playing like a potential day two pick. And I, I've just got to, I've got to study more of it. But just he's he's in such control 
of the offense and just knew where to go with the ball. It's like it all clicked. I know he's a coach's son, and I've sat with him for 30 minutes and talked to him, and he's a different cat, but he's a smart cat. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just feel like he's finding his zone, and sometimes, sometimes it's just confidence, you know, like anything in life. Sometimes it's just, ah, okay, got it. Now I know where to go with the ball. Now I know what you guys want me to do. Now I know if we're trying to do this and they show me that, that I, I can change to this. And you just you become more decisive and all that. But he's, he's got solid tools, but he's just playing at a higher level so far this year. And we'll find out because the SEC, you know, that, that tape doesn't lie, man. It really doesn't. We'll find out by the end of the year if, if this is all – real and and consistent so you're traveling as i mentioned you know, like some people may be going well what's going on and you're like well you know you're traveling every so single weekend on the on the college football broadcast with leaving greasy um and you've been doing it now for a little while and so as i always try to like sort through what's real and what isn't with the conference stuff let's start with the big 10 you know ohio state it's almost foolish to ever doubt them Penn State, I don't really know what to do with, but I kind of felt that way in August with another quarterback in after, you know, look, say what you want about McSorley. The guy was a baller. Um, and yep. maybe Wisconsin replaces Michigan as the other really good team, and Michigan State's offense is still a mess. But if we start with Michigan, you know, I was defending Harbaugh forever. I still think, look, if he's happy there and they're happy with him, then everybody should just move on because they don't want to get rid of him. But, yeah, now this is disappointing. Uh, I wasn't as disappointed as maybe other people in the public. Maybe I'm stubborn. Maybe I'm totally wrong about it. I know but... this. You can read between the lines. Just about everyone who's anyone from an alum alumni standpoint is um, fed up. It's one thing. It's one thing to not allow anyone into your practices and to do all that stuff and to be difficult, but it's another to do it and and lose. And then it's another level to do it and lose in an embarrassing way, like you did. And I, I've heard from people like, hey, Charles Woodson was, is going to be the last one to, to give up. And if you go back and, and watch what he had to say at the end of the day in Fox, um, I think you kind of you get the message. I, I think I, and I'm shocked that we're here and it happened fast. And I think, he, I think he's a good coach. Um, but it, he's, he's got a lot to overcome. I, I think just judging by the people I've talked to. Yeah. As I was saying, like the scary I part, mean, you can't lose to Wisconsin that way. Priscilla, you can't, you can't go and just get your ass handed to you like that. No, that's embarrassing. I mean, one thing you think is going to happen at the very least, Hey, we'll look bad on offense again, but we'd be competitive because our defense is good. And they got gashed. I mean, gashed all day. Smoked. Long. Smoked. And yeah. the point I'm trying to make here is that usually by now Harbaugh's already delivered, and this is when everybody starts getting sick of each other because he's right. He's a tough guy. Like he's a friend. He's not a roommate. You know, he's a guy that hey, I'd be friends with him, but I'd never want to live with him. And when you're living with him, you know, whether it's Stanford being like, okay, it's over, beat it. I don't know. I'd be friends with him. I, I'd have a beer with him. Yeah, the friend thing might even might even be tough, but um, you know what I mean. I, like, like, there, I think there's a difference. Yeah, I felt like the arguments against him for a while were were just too much, and now I'm having a hard time uh, defending this because I would have never thought it would have been going in this kind of direction based on where he was in year two and year three and flirting with the playoff and even you know flirting yeah. with it a little bit but after that Wisconsin game you just sit there and be like wait a minute now you guys are going to suck on defense too and there's some people that think that Ohio State when what they did to them last year that now people have been able to figure out how to game plan against their defense on top of you know, Patterson being a disappointment and getting benched when you know the, you know, look stop having a million penalties stop turning the football over and maybe this defense figures itself out but they could win every single game like they're probably going to be five and one they can win every single game up in Ohio State again if they get smoked by them no one's going to care yeah, and I mean, I, I love Don Brown, the defensive coordinator. They play they play a little too much man to man. They've got to adjust it. Offensively, the reason Harbaugh came in was quarterbacks and and his system, and they've completely scrapped the system. 
and they're getting and, and Shade wasn't a good fit, and they're getting McCaffrey killed now. Um, I don't know. It's it's surprising. I I really and I I'm on record saying like I thought when he came back to college that it was at that point it was Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, and that Harbaugh was third on the list. At that point, it was what four, four or five years ago. The other thing is, with all the like the recruiting hype and the trips to Europe and the sleeping at kickers' houses and all the other crazy stuff he's done, where's all the talent? I I, I just I don't see it. I see in the receivers, and they're and they're they're linebackers, and some of those guys have been really good. It's, I, I don't know. I get the sense that this could be the last year. It wouldn't shock me if he tried to bail out. Really? Yeah. I feel like you know more than you're telling me. Uh, no, not necessarily. I've, basically, I've told you basically everything I know. I, I, it just wouldn't shock me if he wound up trying to get out before before the fire. But I... I, I, that, I Honest to God, I don't know that. I just just watching the press conference the other day, like how he was just like, and I know, like after a loss like that, no one's gonna look good. He just looked like he was checked out mentally. I'm sure he can't believe it. I mean, I can't believe it. You can't believe it. I mean, think about him. I mean, he's a dude looking in the mirror yeah, saying, "Who's yeah, got better I mean, than us?" And there's a stone factor. Okay, so I don't want to just do Michigan here. You did that USC Stanford game, which at the time. You, we didn't realize like Stanford has major problems. I mean, to think of yeah. all the things that Stanford could be bad at, blocking people would never be on the list, and they can't block anybody. I mean, they were terrible against Oregon again too, even though that score wasn't that bad. But when I watch all these Pac-12 games in general, and I know you know if we do the playoff thing, we start going okay, you know you got to worry about Texas, Oklahoma that are better than your Pac-12 team, maybe two SEC teams. Who the hell's beating Clemson? Because the ACC is a disaster. The Big Ten, we just went over. Who's beating Ohio State? And even if you don't think it's as deep or it's just as deep as we thought it was August because Michigan swapped out with Wisconsin, the Pac-12 is still behind these teams. Even though I feel like for for some to say Cal's their only hope in the playoff, that's very dismissive of Oregon. Not because I think Oregon's amazing, but like Oregon, if they run this and Auburn's still good, like it's not a bad resume. And there's still going to be stuff that we can't predict that's going to happen. But from a talent standpoint, I just I find the league to be smaller. I don't think the quarterback depth is there the way it's been in the past. And I like this conference so much, but I'm having a harder time defending it. Yeah, it's tough because I really, I really like Keaton Slovis after that Stanford game. And obviously the injury and, and then Stanford goes and you know, has done what it's done and got worked by UCF. So it's hard to, you know, it's early in the season, you know, and all this stuff. And I find myself every single year trying to remind myself, you got to put everything in perspective. You really do. And we, we all, not to be cliche, but we all do this same stuff, man. Every year, like we want answers. So it's Clemson, it's Alabama, it's like some crazy stuff's going to happen and let's just let it play out, play out. But Nobody wants to. Everyone wants to try to get the answer right now. I think USC is better than people think. Okay? I think physically up front, they are more aggressive and tough than they've been in years, and it's good to see. I think they have some weapons, but they're not. it's not elite USC weapons. Can they hang on and figure out the quarterback situation and get healthy? Uh, defensively, I think they're just okay. I think Arizona State is a good team, not a great team. I think Cal is better than we all think. That defense is good. And the secondary, yeah, yeah, all that stuff is real. I know, real. I know, and I just I didn't expect it because when's the last time Cal had a good defense? I think there were signs like last year, but ago? you know, I become numb after I've read the 60th team preview about how awesome they're going to be and how everybody's like saying the right cool. things and. And they have an awesome saying. Right, and but then, I do think it's a, I think it's a different day there. I, I really do. Yeah, absolutely. No, we're in total agreement. I think Arizona State is is what we think they are. Probably 
three, four loss team, but but good. And I think that's what, unfortunately for the Pac-12, and I guess fortunately at the same time, I think they've they've got a lot of good programs and a lot of good teams, but there's no great. Yeah, because I mean, we didn't even. I don't know if I I talked over you there, but like I'm not writing Utah off all of a sudden because they lost to USC. USC's home after a loss and. Matt Fink comes in, and it was. I mean, you think about the third string guy. I think they're guy. a really good team, but they're not yeah. great. They're, they're they're physical. They're going to beat you up defensively. I think offensively, they can get hot, but they're not consistently going to be good. And then when I think of of Gordon there at Washington State, uh, I loved him in that Houston game. I'm like, wait a minute, like this kid, this kid delivers a ball, and I'm not just talking about you know, I'm not doing this in the nine touchdown yeah. game after the UCLA game, but if I look at the rest of their schedule, I mean, there's still a chance for Washington State to do some really cool things here, but it's actually a brutal schedule the rest of the way. I mean, they still have Washington, they have Oregon, they have Arizona State, they have Utah, they have Cal. I mean, even Colorado at home is not some – like Colorado at home, you know, even if you were home there with Colorado and some of the talent they have, I mean, think about the win they just pulled off missing two of their best players. So you're right, it's it's a deeper conference, but nobody cares. Like nobody cares about it anymore – if you don't have that headliner, but I still think before we're even in October, it's ridiculous to write off the entire conference because, I mean, who thought Ohio State was going to lose to Purdue? Who thought Clemson was going to lose to Pitt a couple of years ago? You know, Oklahoma's always yeah. good for, you know, and I don't even mean that specific, like, nasty to Oklahoma, but whenever anybody, like, shows me, oh, FPI says that 87% run the table and all this shit, and I just go, whatever, man. Like, I don't I don't care. Like, we're not going to have four 12-0 teams at the end of this, so... Saying Cal's the Pac-12's only hope to me is is dismissive of a, a lot of things in history that we see every single year. How many times have we seen the thirteen percent come in, you know, <laughs> or the one percent? So exactly. Um, Texas, Oklahoma. Who's better right now? Mm. I know the easy answer is Oklahoma because they're destroying everybody, and Jalen Hurts looks like he's going to win the Heisman here. But you know, I was impressed with Texas against LSU in the loss, um, even though I thought it was pretty clear that LSU was a better team and. You know, I watched that Oklahoma State game, and I probably left that game going, you know, Oklahoma State's got some ballers. Like, they competed out there. That wasn't an easy win for Texas. So, you know, to see Oklahoma State maybe be better than people thought because of the lack of schedule and having them unranked, like, that wouldn't be new for the Pokes. But I just, it's really easy to just go, hey, Oklahoma's better, and maybe that's still the right answer. But I think that's what every other conference has to worry about is the winner of that game. I think, first of all, they're two of my favorite coaches in the country. And for very, not very different reasons, Lincoln is, you know, you sit in a room with Lincoln and it's like, ah, I get it. You know, <laughs> he's, he's so smart, but it's like so humble about it that you don't, you don't, it doesn't come off as I'm trying to tell you how good I am. It's just like, I'm, I'm trying to talk ball and, and try to give you some of the answers, and he just respects the game so much, and you understand why he's like literally. I, I'm telling you, there are at least at, at least five NFL teams that would take like would end their situation now and, and hire him. That's how how respected he is. And then by the end, of, I'm talking about right now. I agree, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And by the end of the season, maybe a third of the league, um, may and maybe more, but that's how respected he is. And when you sit with him, he it's just like talking to him. You're, you know, you're sitting on the plane next to a, a really nice, average, average um, personality guy, and you, like he just won't let you know how smart he is, but you know how smart he is, and he's just as he. He just gets it, and he cares about the players and all that. And and Tom is just, he's fiery, and he's really smart offensively, too. He doesn't get enough credit for that. And I remember, I spent a year with Urban, remember, over the whole fall going down every single week, spending a day at his house and watching. He would put on tape after tape after tape. I think Tom was at Iowa State at that point. Like, watch this guy. Watch what he does. Watch the counter. Watch this. And so that was that that was not a surprise when he wound up hiring Tom Herman as his um offensive coordinator at Ohio State. But Tom is is more like I said, fiery and, and just 
he's, he just gets after you and, and demands it. And they do it in different ways. So I love both of those guys. I think Oklahoma, they have so much in the tank in terms of talent. I think Texas is capable this year of, of doing it for the first time because I think they've recruited well enough. I still would give the edge to Oklahoma, but I think the gap is closing. And um, and I, I think Ellinger is, is one of the big reasons because he's he's just got something, man. He's just he's a warrior. Is that when Urban wanted you to work for him? Uh, he never really. I mean, he inquired about like what I want to do in life, and we had a lot of long, long, good talks. But okay. no, that's when when we were doing game uh, like game day hits and all that stuff. And I, I went down and stayed at his house. The first time, Shelly, his wife, the first time I knocked on the front door, I didn't know where to go. She opened the door. I was like, all right, we, you and I need to talk before you can go do all this TV stuff. I was like, okay, yes, ma'am. So Tim Tebow was a son to me. I was like, I, I, loved, I, I loved Tim. It's not, I was like, I just, you know, I, it's just about the draft stuff. She's like, all right. She's like, I just need you to understand that like, Tim Tebow is like a son to me. And I didn't like all the negative things. I was like, yes, ma'am, sorry. <laughs> that was awkward. Did she apologize for you being right? No. no. They never do that, do they? It's all good. No, I know. I know. It's all um, good. Yeah. I feel like I didn't really ask you much about the SEC. Do you have, before I let you go, one SEC observation, something real juicy you haven't even shared with anybody yet? Um I don't know whether it's a talent thing. You know, Bama's got six of the top 20 in your in your latest first-round thing. I don't know if that's really interesting because I'm not going to sit here and say it's the most talented Bama team or all these different things. But um, give me a sense of – yeah, just give me something. I'm, I'm not even asking a question. The best Todd McShay SEC take is – It's the same stuff, man. Six Bama players in my top 21. 32 players drafted in the last three years. 10 last year, 12 the year before, and 10 the year before that. And they still have six in my top 21. It's, it's just insane. And as I look, all right, so Auburn's got one with uh, Derek Brown, defensive tackle. LSU's got one with uh, Grant Delpit, the safety. Uh, make that two. LSU's got two with uh, Christian Fulton, the cornerback. Georgia's got one with the with Andrew Thomas, the offensive tackle. Obviously, Fromm is down a little bit, but somewhere in the top 40. It's just, I do think Auburn's a little bit better than people think. Yeah, I think it's going to be a Bo Nix thing. Yeah, A&M's going to keep getting better. Jimbo's, Jimbo's going to recruit well there. He's, he's got a lot of resources, let's put it that way. <laughs> a lot of resources. When I looked at your top 10, because I'm going Tua, Judy, love him, Delpit, love him, Akuda, love him, Chase Young, I freaking love. I mean, love. And that was, you know, getting to see him in person. It's seven sacks already, bud. I See, they, to me, he was a sideline guy. So that was like, okay, I'm going to watch him. And watching him from the sideline, it was another experience altogether. And his motor. Yeah. yeah I always think it's a little unfair. We're like, oh, not a consistent motor. And it's like, all right, you run into another dude 70 plays and tell me how locked in you're going to be every fucking snap. Um we're allowed to swear on this podcast, but, uh, when I, when I look Good at chase, know. like it keeps going. Then I look at Herbert and then Derek Brown. He just mentioned Auburn, CD lamb, Oklahoma size on top of everything else. Although those dudes are wide open all the time, Fulton and then rugs like that. This top 10, it feels at least, and maybe it's too early to say this, but this top 10 looks stacked for next year. It's really good. And then Adebo from Stanford, nobody knows about gets overlooked. Uh, I'm just looking at that's the kid like, that made Raekwon that huge Davis. play in the back of the end zone a couple years ago, right? The corner, yes, and Adebo. I, I forget I the game, he, he like made those all those plays and that one. Paulson, end. Paulson Adebo from Stanford. He's like six two, long arms, and former receiver just makes plays on the ball. Um, Jacob Eason is going to get in the mix, whether you like him or not. Raekwon Davis. Had some bad influences last year. It's been a better, better place this year. And you know what? Talked honestly to us about it, and I was really surprised. 
It was one of the more mature conversations I've had with a player in, in my years of doing it. Like, you know, I, I just, I wasn't living up to who I needed to be. And my family told me, and when my, he's like, it's one thing for a coach to tell you, but when your family tells you you're blowing it, you know, you start to get it. And he's, he's a freak, man. Let me let you go on this one. Five years from now, from this class, the best defensive player in the NFL will be? Chase Young. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, I'm yeah. really willing to admit, I don't know it as well as you did, but the best bet, I think, is, you know, you never know no, sometimes. I, I, some of the that would be my bet. I think he's more talented than both of the Boses, just naturally, and I think he's starting to learn the hand-to-hand combat and all the things that the, the Boses learned to to become as special as they are. And you put that combination together, if it happens, uh, I think he's going to be a freak. Todd, I know we went long here, so thanks a lot, dude. I really appreciate it. You can check out all of his work on ESPN.com, the breakdowns, and you can check him out every Saturday. Where are you on the road this week? Waco, Texas. You want to want to meet me? You got Iowa State at Baylor. I've already been to Waco, so I don't have to go again. Okay. I <laughs> uh, love you, dude. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Love you, too. Talk to you soon, bud.